Very good, Stephen. Okay. Matthew chapter 8. We spent several weeks, even months, uh, going through Matthew chapters 5 through 7, where it recorded Jesus teaching the crowds about entrance into the kingdom of God and living as a citizen in the kingdom of God, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and if you remember, at the end of that sermon there, at the end in, in chapter 7, Matthew records that the crowds were astonished at Jesus' teaching. They, they were astonished once, when he finished the sermon and, and you know, sat down. Or they, they, just, they were astonished because he taught as, uh, with, a, with a fresh authority. He did not teach like their, their, the scribes and the Pharisees that they were used to. He did not just, just quote uh, rabbis and, and this and that. No, he taught with his own authority. He... he like he said in the sermon, he, he taught that he had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. There was, there was something powerful and authoritative as he proclaimed the word of God, as he rightly, uh, matter of fact, cor- he first corrected the, the teaching of the Pharisees of, at the time, and then he rightly interpreted the word of God. He rightly explained how he fulfilled the, the law and the prophets. And then with authority, he taught people how to pray, how to, how to carry out their other acts of righteousness. And he displayed great authority when he declared himself to be the final judge. You think about how the sermon ended there in, in the last several paragraphs in, in Matthew 7, how he, he declared that he was the one who determines uh, where we will spend eternity, that, that it's only those whom he knows, right, who get to be in the etern- eternal kingdom. What, what amazing authority. What amazing um, claims that Christ was, was making. And so uh, Jesus, his teaching, even the people recognized it. His teaching had real authority. We could say his teaching had kingdom authority because that's what he was doing. Remember in chapters 1 through 4, Matthew is showing how Jesus has come in fulfillment of the prophets, in fulfillment of the prophecies, the promises of the coming Messiah. Matthew labored to, to show the different... Uh, prophecies that were being fulfilled. So the promised king has come. Then in Matthew uh, chapter 5 through 7, Jesus is teaching with kingdom authority. He's teaching the values of the kingdom. He's teaching how, how to enter into the kingdom. And now, as we move into this new section in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8 and 9 will show Jesus um, demonstrating that same authority, this time not so much in teaching, but in, in working miracles, in, in healing in casting out demons, he's bringing in the, the kingdom of God. And so Matthew has arranged this material. Um, we're going to look at three specific healings uh, today. Uh, these healings are found in various places in, in the Synoptic Gospels, in, in Mark and in Luke. But Matthew has, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, obviously, Matthew has arranged these accounts in a certain way to make a certain point. And so... Uh, he's showing us the powerful inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The, the promised king has come, and now he's displaying that power by reversing the curse of sin. By, that's what these miracles are to show us, that, that all that sin has broken, Christ is restoring. All right. So with that in mind, let's stand together, and we'll please follow along as I read verses 1 through 17 today of Matthew chapter 8, because that's the text we want to consider this morning. Matthew 8, verses 1 through 17. So please follow along as I read. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed." For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled 
and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the, into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the, the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Like I said, Matthew has arranged this material in a, in a particular way. Um, he has these three accounts of healings and, and, and power, and then he will have a, a, a brief section of, of teaching on the cost of following Jesus, and then he'll have three more healings, and then he'll have another section of, of uh, Jesus describing what it looks like to follow him, and then he'll have three more healings. And then we go into an extended period of section in chapter 10. So Matthew um, wants us to see something in, these, in this section. And the key was there in the, at the end when he uh, quotes from Isaiah 53. All right, so that's, that's why we're considering this kind of large chunk this morning, because it really is a unit. The title of the sermon today is Christ's Transforming Power. Christ's transforming power. Sin has left this world broken. It's left this world soiled and in bondage. But through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ has powerfully defeated sin and death and evil. Christ then wields his saving power to cleanse what sin has soiled, to restore what sin has broken, and to set free what sin has enslaved. And so in our text today, we're going to see Christ's transforming power on display in these three different episodes, the leper, the centurion, and then what happened at at Peter's house. And as I studied this passage, a couple of themes stood out to me. So I just want to mention them to you at the outset so you can kind of be noticing them as we work our way through the passage. So two themes that we see here. Number one is Christ's power and compassion to save. Christ's power and compassion to save. Matthew is especially, again, highlighting Christ's power, or we could say Christ's authority over sin. As the promised Messiah, Jesus is powerfully bringing in the kingdom of God, and he's demonstrating that by reversing the effects of sin. Right? We know that in, in the beginning when God created the world, everything was good. It was very good, right? But once Adam and Eve uh, sinned, then the whole world including creation itself, was, was brought under the curse of sin. And so now that's why we have sickness. That's why we have suffering. That's why we have evil and death, right? It's because of sin. And so uh, sickness is a result of the fall. doesn't mean that every person who's sick has sinned personally, but just in, in general, sin is a result of, of the fall. And what we also see is that uh, the Bible often uses these pictures of, of sin, like blindness or, or leprosy or, or, or lameness, right, or deafness. The Bible uses those as pictures of, who, of what's true of us spiritually apart from Christ, right? Without Christ, we are blind. Without Christ, we, uh, we're um, ravaged with sin, like leprosy, right? Without Christ, we're, we're lame. Even more than that, we're dead, Ephesians 2 says. Right? So these are, as we look at these, that not only is, is Christ uh, demonstrating he's the Messiah, uh, transforming individual lives through love and compassion, but he is uh, pointing to his, his greater work on the cross, and I'll say more about that later. So we see the theme of Christ's power and compassion to save, because in these healings, we obviously see Christ's power, but we also see his compassion. Matthew doesn't emphasize this as much as Mark or Luke does. But when we read these accounts, we see, even here in Matthew, we see Jesus' willingness to heal. We see his touch. We see his kindness. We see his love for those who are helpless and suffering in bondage. 
And so that should be an encouragement to each one of us, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful, He is mighty to save, and He's loving and, and willing to save to all those who, who come to Him in repentance and faith. So that's the first theme. The second theme that is prominent then is the necessity of faith. The necessity of faith. Faith is highlighted throughout this passage. We're going to see examples of humble, desperate faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see people who who recognize their hopelessness, who believe that Jesus alone has the power to rescue them. And so then they, they in, in complete humility and desperation and boldness, they, they come to Jesus. They fall down before him. And they cry out to him to be rescued. And so that's going to be a picture of faith. Jesus himself is going to highlight that with the centurion, that, wow, this is amazing faith. And we're going to see the necessity of faith, that those who believe in Jesus are transformed, and Jesus himself will, will, will make it explicit that only those who believe in him will enter the kingdom of God. Okay? So those are a couple of themes that we're going to we want to be sure and, and not miss and as we go through this text. And then my plan is we'll, we'll go through the passage. And then at the end, uh, kind of as a wrap-up, I want us to consider what, what, we under, what we learn about Christ's ministry. I want us to have an understanding of Christ's ministry and see the connection here. All right, so that's the plan. So let's begin with the, the episode here with the leper. Verse 1. When he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him, knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I mean, a brief account, Matthew is very succinct in the way he tells these things, but what a scene, right? This leper, Luke tells us this was a man who was full of leprosy. The Bible uses the term leprosy to refer to a broad scope of skin diseases, rather than just only referring to what we know as Hansen's disease. But whatever form this man had, we know it had ravaged his, his whole body. And so people with leprosy, we know, were, were ostracized. They not only dealt with the, the, the physical um, effects and dangers of the disease itself, but they uh, were, were, were ostracized uh, from society as a whole. They were cut off from the, the, the community of, of believers. They were cut off from... From worship, uh, Leviticus chapter 13, uh, verse 45 says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. That was what the Word of God says in Leviticus 13. So leprosy not only robbed a person of his or her health, but it, it took away their very life. Really, it, it took away, it separated them from, from family, from the community, from fellowship, from, from the worshiping community. The rabbis of the day would refer to lepers as the living dead. Josephus, the famous Jewish historian, said that lepers were treated as if they were dead men. And there was no known cure for leprosy. The minor cases of skin disease might eventually clear up, but again, this man we know from, from Luke's account was full of leprosy, and so people with full-blown leprosy were, were left separated from everyone else to suffer with really no, little to no hope of ever being cured. And so leprosy was such an awful, debilitating disease that it was often viewed, in, in the day, it was viewed as a punishment from God. The rabbis would teach that, oh, well, if that person has leprosy, that God is punishing them. That's how awful it was. Now, again, that, uh, those are hasty conclusions, right? I mean, some, some sickness and, and, and such can be a punishment from God, but we know, like I said, that in general, it, it's, we shouldn't draw that conclusion. It, sickness comes just because of living in a fallen world, right? But, and here's what, again, I don't want us to miss, the Bible teaches that leprosy is symbolic of sin. Just like physical leprosy, so sin spoils us, it it makes us unclean, it spreads in us, and it separates us from God. By nature, we're all separated from God, right? We're, We're 
at enmity with God. We're, we're enemies of God. And so when we read about this leper here in Matthew 8, we should see who we are by nature. We should see ourselves who we are apart from Christ. This is who we are. This is who we would be if we were still without Christ. We are spiritual lepers. Sin has ravaged our hearts and bodies and left us separated from God. And so we, just like this leper, we need cleansed, right? We need cleansed from the inside out before we will be allowed in God's holy presence. And so this leper, he knew his desperate condition and, and he had heard about Jesus. He sought out, uh, he fervently sought out Jesus to be cleansed. And, and so if you can picture the scene, we, we see humility, we see desperation, we see boldness and determination, we see faith in this leper because lepers were required to stay far away, 50 paces away from everyone else, lest they maybe contaminate someone. But in bold desperation, this leper obviously ignored that law. He ignored the customs. He came up to Jesus and fell down before him. He humbly bowed before Jesus. He called him Lord, and he begs Jesus to cleanse him. So he believes that Jesus has the power to heal him. Notice he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He's not questioning Jesus' ability, right? He knows Jesus is able. He just is... The only thing he's questioning is, is Jesus willing to cleanse him? What a, what a powerful scene, right? And it's a beautiful scene because look at how Jesus responds. Verse 3 records, and Jesus, right? Here's this lepers come up to him. You can imagine, you know, the, the crowds, the disciples, they all like, what's this guy doing, right? That, you know, the Red Sea was parting, so to speak. What does Jesus do? He doesn't recoil back. He doesn't scold him. No, he actually reaches toward him, stretched out his hand, verse 3, and touched him, saying, I will. Right? Because he had said, if, you're, if you will, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I mean, what a beautiful account. Jesus is willing he wanted to cleanse the leper. Again, Matthew doesn't say this, but Mark's account says, Jesus, full of compassion, reached out and touched the man. He had compassion on his pathetic condition. He had compassion on his desperate need. He doesn't say, okay, I'll, I'll heal you, but you, you stay over there. I mean, Jesus could have done that. He's going to do that with this centurion servant in the very next account. But no, he reached out and touched him. He demonstrated his love and compassion by touching the leper. We know, and we've been reminded this past whole year of COVID, right? There is something about human touch, isn't there? I mean, some of the most uh, moving images of this whole uh, season of COVID, at least for me, has been um, when you see pictures of people in nursing homes, right, who are separated from their families and you see maybe like a, a wife visiting her husband and they have to do it through, you know, a sliding glass door or whatever, or a window and they're, you know, right, they're reaching out and touching each other through the, not really touching each other, but kind of through the window. You know, the, just that longing for touch. And you think about this leper, no one had touched him for a long time, as long as he'd had that disease. He hadn't felt an embrace. He hadn't felt a, a touch, a, a hug. No, right the opposite. He had always been like, stay away, stay away. But Jesus doesn't, doesn't keep his distance. He doesn't condemn the man. He expressed love and compassion. And so I'm just picturing what this leper would do, right? You know when... When you're in, in great need, when, you're, when, you're, when things are very emotional, uh, maybe you're barely holding it together and then that touch is what finally just causes you to, to weep, right? It wouldn't surprise me if this man started weeping right as Jesus touches him. And of course, everyone else, I'm sure, was shocked by Jesus touching the leper, right? They're thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? You're, you're making yourself ceremonially unclean. Uh, you might catch whatever disease this is. But no, this is showing not only Christ's compassion, it's showing his power. 
Because he's not, Jesus is not polluted by the leper's disease. Rather, the leper is immediately cleansed, right? Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. With one powerful word, it's two in our our English translation, but it's one in the original. Be clean. Jesus immediately and completely heals the leper. Imagine what that looked like, right? Every, every lesion, every sore, every swollen area immediately vanishes. Nerve endings that were, had died, extremities that maybe had fallen off were regenerated. Skin that had been dead, flaky, was now clean and pure. And now this man no longer needs to cry out, cover himself. Unclean, unclean. He's clean. He's restored. He's restored to the community. He's restored to his family. And this is Jesus. This is the power of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus. This is Jesus, the promised King, the promised Messiah, bringing in the power of the kingdom of God to reverse the effects of sin. And then verse 4, Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So this is what uh, scholars will call the messianic secret, right? We see Jesus doing this um, fairly often. Hey, don't tell anybody. Don't, don't tell anybody. And it's like, well, why? Well, Jesus wants to define his own ministry. He, he knows that the, the man's tendency is going to be to misunderstand what, his messiahship, to misunderstand what he has come to do. The crowds were happy to have Messiah be a, a miracle worker, be a, a bread provider, be a healer, someone who would overthrow the Romans. But that's not why Jesus has ultimately come, right? He's come to lay down his life for his people, to, to rescue them from the, their greater need of, of sin and death. And so that's why he says, hey, don't, don't tell anyone. But... In accordance with the law, he tells them to go and show himself to the priest so that the priest can officially declare you clean, uh, offer the appropriate sacrifice as is written in the law. And, and this was, you know, for one thing, to, so the man can be accepted back into society so the priest can kind of give his stamp of approval. Wow, you are clean. You've been cleansed. You've been healed. But then the text in Matthew also points to another reason for doing this, uh, for a proof to them, it says at the end of verse it literally means for a testimony to them so the leper being cleansed would be a testimony to the priest to others who are gathered there that the kingdom of god had come because one of the signs of that the messiah has come is that the lepers would be cleansed and so for those who by god's grace had eyes to see right they should start connecting the dots like wow this man is the promised messiah so now in verse 5, we, we move into another scene. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. So a centurion is a Roman officer, right, in charge of 100 men. That's why you get the name centurion. But he's a Gentile, right? He's, he's a Roman. He, he, Rome occupied Israel, right? Rome was in charge. The, the Jews were subservient. But... Here uh, is this Gentile coming and seeking <laughs> the uh, Jewish rabbi for, for help. Um, he says he has a, a servant who's seriously ill, paralyzed, he says, at home, suffering terribly. Again, Luke's account tells us that this servant was at the point of death. And speaking of Luke, when you, if you were to go read that account, you, you might at, at first be a little confused because... Luke describes this, this scene unfolding as the centurion doesn't come personally to, the, to Jesus. Rather, he sends messengers to come and make an appeal to Jesus on his behalf. And, and again, as, as Matthew often does, Matthew has simply abbreviated the story, right? He's not missing any of the, the, the truth of the story, but he's just abbreviating it. Um, not contradicting Luke, but he's reporting that this... Um, Matthew's just reporting what the centurion said through his messengers, right? It's an accepted principle that what a person does through an agent is what the person himself does, right? So, you know, if the, what do they call the person, the, the, the press secretary, right? If, if, if she gets up and says something, 
on behalf of the president. That's like the president saying it, right? That's kind of what Matthew is doing here. So he's just honing in on, he wants us to just focus in on Jesus and the centurion. So again, let's do that. Let's focus. You've got this Gentile, this Roman officer coming to Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, for help. So already we see evidence of humility here, don't we? You know, I mean, you think of the Romans and, you know, I I mean, I'm, I'm sure they walked around, especially a centurion, right? I mean, thinking, you know, hey, you guys, your job is to do what I say, right? And they walked around all proud and and pompous, but no, here he's come in great humility and great need. No doubt the centurion had heard reports of what Jesus can do, and so he's come to Jesus for help. Verse 7, Jesus says, I will come and heal him. But, verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too... The centurion says, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So, you see, here is a man who understands authority. He understands authority structures, right? He was a man who was under authority, right? He had Roman um, commanders, ultimately Caesar, right? So, but he himself had authority, delegated to him from his commanders, and so then he has men under him, a hundred men under him, and he tells them to go, and they do it, right? Just at his word, they obey. So he understands how authority works. And, but in, in all that, we should see, what is he saying? He's recognizing Jesus is a man of great authority. <laughs> he, he'd heard reports of Jesus' miracles. He knew that Jesus was a man of great authority, but not like his authority, not like not a worldly authority. No, Jesus' authority had come from God. <laughs> he believed that Jesus has authority from God, and that authority was, is, can be exercised just merely through Jesus' words. And so that's why in verse 8 he says, Jesus, just say the word. Only say the word, and my servant will be healed. It's like from, right from where you are. I'm not worthy to have you come under, into my house. I mean, you know, maybe he knew the whole Jews are not so associate with Gentile things. Maybe that's what he's saying. Or maybe he's just in general saying, I am such a sinner. I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. But you don't need to, Jesus. You don't have to come. You don't have to put your hands on him. You're a man with God's authority. Just say the word and he'll be cleansed. Verse 10 shows Jesus' response. When Jesus heard this, He marveled. Isn't that interesting when you see the emotional reaction of Jesus? Right? There's some times when Jesus is like so disgusted with with unbelief, right? But here he's marveling at belief. He's marveling. He's astonished. Marvel is a term of amazement, of wonder. He's he's astonished at this this man's great faith. This display of great faith... um, would be something to marvel at by anybody, but this is coming from a Gentile. And so Jesus, he wants to use this as an object lesson here. <laughs> he turns to those, verse 10 says, he turns to those following him and says, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So he's highlighting this man's faith. He's holding up this man as an an example of what true faith in Christ looks like. The humility, the dependence on Christ alone, the confidence and the power and the person of Christ to rescue, to cleanse, to heal. I'm going to come back to verses 11 and 12, but let's just kind of close out the, the whole story with the servant. In verse 13, to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. As you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So again, what a, what a display of faith. The, servant rec- the centurion recognized his need, believed that Christ alone could meet that need, called out to Christ in faith, and Jesus was mighty to save. Jesus healed the servant at that very moment. He didn't need to be in the home. Jesus did not need to touch the servant. No, he's the eternal son of God who became a man. He's the promised king sent from God who's come to save his people from the curse of sin. And so King Jesus, once again, is powerfully bringing in the kingdom of God right here in this account. 
And so, like I said, Jesus then uses this encounter with the Roman centurion to highlight an important truth about the kingdom of God. All right? So this is, we all need to pay attention to this, right? It's not just, oh, well, that was a nice story, and, you know, I'm glad the guy got healed. No, Jesus says, everybody needs to understand something about the kingdom of God. I'm displaying kingdom power here. Let me tell you something about the kingdom itself. Verse 11, I tell you, Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. All right, that's how Matthew often says the kingdom of God. Verse 12, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what's, what's, what's going on here? Well, this is what the Bible calls the, the messianic banquet. Places like uh, Isaiah 25, Revelation 19 describe this, this messianic banquet. And what it is, it's, it's saying at the, end of the, at the end of time, at the end of this, this age, when, when Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, returns, he's going to come, he's going to complete his kingdom, he's going to consummate the kingdom of God, and he's going to make a great banquet for his people. All right? So it's like, it's like a picture. Like being invited to the banquet means you are in God's eternal kingdom. Got it? Pretty simple, isn't it? Being invited to the banquet means you are in God's eternal kingdom. It means you are saved. It means you'll get to enjoy God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, like I said, Isaiah talks about that. So the Jews at that day were familiar with that picture of the, of the final kingdom. But Jewish tradition at the time, guess who they thought was going to be at the banquet? Just the Jews. <laughs> Just the Jews, right? They, they, they were clear on that. They thought by being a Jew, that meant they were heirs to the promises. They were going to get to be in the banquet, and no Gentiles were going to be there. Matter of fact, they called the Gentiles the dogs that you keep outside, right? So what is Jesus doing here? To the, to the crowds following him, who were probably mainly Jewish. That's why Matthew highlights this, right? We know he, his gospel was written primarily to, to a Jewish audience, He's given a great reversal here, isn't he? I mean, things are all turned upside down here. Uh, he says that many Gentiles, right? When he says in verse 11, those many will come from east and west and recline at table. Those are the Gentiles. He's saying many Gentiles are going to come and be at this banquet, be there with the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And who's on the outside? Verse 12, the sons of the kingdom, they're going to be on the outside, thrown into the outer darkness in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sons of the kingdom means the Jews, the ones who were first given the good news about the Messiah, right? Romans talks, Paul in Romans talks about they were heirs to the promises. They were heirs to the covenants, right? They, they were given those, those promises or given the good news of what God was going to do, Right? They're, they're the sons of the kingdom, but they're on the outside. Why? Well, because they have not believed. They're going to be thrown into hell. That's what he's talking about, a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is making a very, very important point. He's declaring that the kingdom of God belongs to those who have faith. The kingdom of God belongs to those who have faith. It doesn't belong to those who are of a Jewish bloodline. All right? The Jews of Jesus' day thought they were in the kingdom because of their ancestry. They, they said, well, hey, God made this covenant with Abraham. We are physically sons of Abraham, so we're good. And Jesus says, no, no. Right? Just what, what Paul says in, in his letters those who have the faith of Abraham are truly sons of Abraham. Those who believe in God's promises are saved. That's Jesus' point here. Only those who believe in me, like this centurion does, like this centurion is, only those who have faith will be welcomed into the eternal kingdom. And so this is so important for us too, right? The same is true today. 
No one is a Christian just because their parents or grandparents were Christians. No one is a Christian just because they grow up in church. Each one of us must personally believe in the Lord Jesus. Each one of us must personally, humbly acknowledge that we have sinned against God and that we're headed for eternal punishment. That to admit in humility that we're, we're unable to save ourselves. To recognize that God alone can save through Jesus Christ. And then each one of us must turn from our sins and by faith embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that's exactly the faith that is being displayed here in the leper and in the centurion. And that's why a, a, an important theme is that faith is necessary for salvation. Faith is necessary for salvation. Our faith doesn't save us. Matter of fact, it's a gift from God. Right? He gets all the glory. But our faith is the channel by which God's salvation comes to us on account of Christ. And so today, if you're not trusting in Christ alone for your eternal salvation, if you are trusting in anything other than Christ, your good works, your, your family background, your, your belonging to America, whatever, you need to reject that, forsake that, and trust in Christ alone. If your hope is anywhere else, I urge you to repent. Repent of your unbelief. Turn from that unbelief and turn to Christ. He will save you. As we've seen today, he is willing to save, right? He's compassionate for those in need. He saves all who come to him in faith. So Christ has transforming power. Christ has transforming power, doesn't he? We know as as believers, he doesn't promise to take away all of our problems and sicknesses in this life. No, that's going to come later. But he does promise that all who call out on him in faith, he will immediately forgive our sins, all of our sins. He will immediately credit you. If you call out to him today, he will immediately forgive your sins, credit you with his perfect righteousness. He will transfer you into God's kingdom, calling you out of the domain of darkness and into God's eternal kingdom. He will rescue you from bondage to sin. He will indwell you personally by his spirit. He will make you a new creation. That's power, isn't it? That, that's, that's healing. That's a miracle. And then Christ's transforming power will continue. He will begin to transform you from the inside out. Many of you can testify to this. I'm not the man. I'm not the woman I used to be by God's grace. He gives you a new heart, a heart that loves God, a heart that hates sin, a heart that still struggles and falls and fails and sins, but yet is striving after holiness, striving after godliness. He gives you daily grace to live that godly life by the power of the Spirit. So I've, I've called on those who don't know Christ to, to trust in Him and be saved. And then Christians today, I'd ask you to praise God. Praise God for saving you through faith. Again, this faith is a gift from him. This uh, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's all because of God's grace. He sent his son. He gave us the faith to believe. And so praise his name for powerfully rescuing you today. And then as I was thinking about this, about Christ's transforming power, I was thinking, man, we still need that, don't we? We need that today. Where do you need to experience Christ's transforming power? Where do you need Christ's power to change you in your life? Maybe it's overcoming a sinful habit. Maybe it's dying to the things of this world. Maybe it's, it's consistently seeking God and His kingdom first. Maybe it's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Maybe it's you need your affections grown for Christ. Loved ones, Christ is still powerfully working within us. We need to continue to humbly walk by faith, right? It's not just, oh, well, we need to show faith at the beginning so we're saved. And then, no, we walk by faith and not by sight, right? We need to continue to have this this, uh, broken spirit, poor in spirit, 
right? To continue to have this humility, this dependence on, on the Lord daily. To daily acknowledge our desperate need of Him. To daily ask Jesus to rescue us from the effects of sin. To fervently lay hold of His power by faith, but to, by seeking Him and abiding in Him. Right? That's what we do. That's how we demonstrate faith as we seek His face in His Word and in prayer and the other means of grace like you are, are doing here today. Christ has transforming power. He can grow your marriage. He can, he can conform you more into the image of Christ. Let me just quickly cover this last section here. Verse 14, when, he, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. I mean, amazing, right? We could spend the whole time on this. Matthew covers it succinctly. I'll need to do that now. But once again, you see the same themes, don't you? You see the power of Christ. You see him instantly healing Peter's mother-in-law. One minute she's probably lying in bed, dreadfully sick with this fever. Next minute she's up and serving. That's to show the instantaneous healing. No traces of weakness left. And then you have this, uh, this scene then after that of, of person after person coming to Jesus to be delivered. Some who were sick, some others who were demon-possessed, but they all desperately needed help. They needed rescued, and that's exactly what Jesus did. You continue to see that theme of compassion, of power, of love. He powerfully heals them. He casts out the, those who are, the demons from those who are demon-possessed. And so his authority is on full display as he heals and casts out demons. He didn't just do it in one blanket healing. He, he could have done that, right? No, he, he personally healed each one. Think of how many people he healed and touched that day, showing them the same love and compassion that he had the leper. What a, what a great day this would have been. All these people being set free. Imagine all the rejoicing as people who've been plagued with these, with these illnesses and sicknesses and, and, and demons, and, and they're, they're set free. They're rejoicing. They've been cleansed, they've been healed, they've been transformed. And what, they sh- what hopefully they saw and what we should be seeing is the kingdom of God had come. The Spirit-anointed Messiah who would preach good news and set at liberty those who were oppressed was here. His kingship had begun. Matthew then makes a, an important point in verse 17. This, right, all that, he, all that we've talked about today, <laughs> these, all these miracles, all these healings, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Anybody recognize where that's from? It's a pretty familiar passage. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And if you, if you are familiar with that passage, you know that's, that's one of the servant songs. It's a prophecy like some 700 years before Christ came. But it's talking about the work of Christ, and it's highlighting his re- work of redemption, right? Uh, the very next verse, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. And so what's Matthew doing here? Well, again... Biblical writers saw sickness, disease as, as, I mean, they were real things affecting real people at the time, but they're also pictures of, of sin, right? And it's, 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 a, it's a picture of humanity's plight because of the fall. And so Matthew sees a connection between Jesus' healing ministry and what he's going to do on the cross, his redemptive ministry his substitutionary atonement jesus or excuse me matthew is connecting those two things he's saying what jesus is going to do on the cross is a culmination of what he's been doing now through his ministry and and what we need to see from that is jesus's healings point beyond just the immediate physical healing they point to the ultimate healing that jesus was going to bring okay And this is your last section if you're taking notes here. Let me just give them to you quickly. 
understanding Christ's ministry. The physical healing that marked the inbreaking of the kingdom. I'll just give them all to you and then I'll say a few words about each But as we wrap up. Understanding Christ's ministry. The physical healing that marked the inbreaking of the kingdom points toward the spiritual healing, or we could say redemption, accomplished at the cross. And that is a down payment of the ultimate healing of resurrection and dwelling with God in the new creation. See, they're all connected. Again, these physical healings, they were... Why had, why had um, the prophets and, and such, like even the passage Todd read for us this morning, why, why did the prophets use the healings like cleansing of the leper and the lame walking, the blind seeing? Why did they use that as signs of the Messiah's coming? Well, because it was, again, it was picturing Christ's power over sin. It was, it was picturing that, that initial reversing the curse, restoring all that sin is broken. In the physical lives of some, but spiritually for all who believe. Right? So, the, uh, here we have in Matthew, Jesus, the promised king, has come. He's announced his kingdom. He's pro- proclaimed the, the, and taught on his kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. And now he's, he's displaying the power of that kingdom by healing. By, he's showing his power and authority over sickness and disease and demons. And, and eventually, here real soon, over other miracles like nature and that's showing him powerfully bringing in the kingdom of God and it's pointing to the victory he was going to have on the cross and at the empty tomb right as wonderful as as physical healings were Jesus was bringing something even better those physical healings were a sign of something else and that is that the healer of our souls was here that's why Jesus had come. I mean, ultimately, we'll see he'd come to, to fix it all. But that's why he had come. Uh, that was going to be the initial down payment right there, was the healing of our souls, to cleanse and heal our sin-cursed souls. He came to restore sinners to a right relationship with God. That's what the gospel does. Every time someone responds to the gospel, that's, that's Jesus rescuing them out of the domain of darkness and transferring them into his kingdom. It's something that's even, even though we can't necessarily see it, we may see fruit of it, right, when someone's saved, but that's something even more miraculous than, than being cleansed from a skin disease. It's an even greater display of power when someone is rescued through Jesus Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then, so that, that has been done. Christ has, has came, lived, died, and risen again. And now the Bible says that is a down payment, a promise of our future and ultimate healing to come. Christ's earthly ministry of healing was just a precursor to what he would do in the end when he comes and restores everything that sin has broken. Right? And so someday all who are united to Christ will be raised from the dead in physically uh, glorified bodies, restored perfectly, no more disease, no more pain. Uh, this, this world that, that is fallen, that, that has chaos, that has evil, that has temptations, that has disasters, All of that will be restored. And so, in the end, Christ's transforming power will spread across this whole world. And so, what I want us to take away from this, loved ones, is be encouraged. Be encouraged that Christ has defeated sin, death, and evil, that our ultimate, final healing is secured. So, take heart. I know we we struggle, we still struggle with sin. I know we still deal with the effects of the fall physically, don't we? Disease and, and, and such. But our final ultimate healing is secured. One day, Christ will return to annihilate sin and annihilate all its effects once and for all, and then we will be with God forever in 
glorified bodies in perfectly cleansed bodies, physically and spiritually. No more sin left. And we'll be with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your, your mighty power, Lord. We see how pervasive and powerful sin is and how it affects, affects all of creation. It affects every area of our life and, and all, it touches everything around us. But yet, as, even as powerful that it seems to be, we know that you are even more powerful. And so we praise you for the mighty work of Christ, that he reverses and restores and heals and cleanses cleanses everything that sin has broken. And so we, with, with great joy and, and great hope, we're reminded of these accounts to, as, a, as a picture of what Christ has already done in our hearts and lives now and what we can look forward to Him doing in the future when He returns. And so, Lord Jesus, we praise You for Your power. We praise You for Your victory. We praise You that You are a compassionate God who delights to to heal and to cleanse, to save. May you continue to show the, the power of your grace by saving many, and may you help us to, to walk in, in, in humility and in faith. Be glorified now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll close with a song of praise.